0: Good morning, good morning, good morning. This is the Single Mom of Purpose. Coming back to give another episode. We're continuing discussion on discipleship. Uh, If you've been listening, uh, you know that I've been uh, sharing out of the book titled New Christian's Handbook, Everything Believers Need to Know. And the name of the author is Max Anders. Okay, okay. And so I'm coming back. We're going to be in chapter 13, chapter 14, and chapter 15 for this podcast. Okay. So, chapter 13, the title is Is Humanity Really Lost? Okay. Every chapter gives us a chapter at a glance, it tells us what we're going to be going into. Okay. So, this chapter 13, chapter at a glance gives us four bullet points the first one is humanity was created in the image of god the second bullet point is god's image was corrupted by sin the third bullet point is evidence demonstrates that humanity is lost and the fourth and final bullet point is the bible declares that humanity is lost okay so we're going to go right on in and starting out humanity was created in the image of god god did not need to create there was no lack in him nothing was missing in his life that he needed something to help him out rather he created all there is for his own glory isaiah 43 7 and ephesians 1 1 through 11 through 12 excuse me And our purpose in life is to do all things to the glory of God. 1 Corinthians 10, 31, as well as to have fellowship with God and to enjoy him forever. Psalm 16, 11 and Psalm 73, 25 through 26. God created humans in his image. Traditionally, this is referred to the Latin term imago, dia, image of God. This image has been distorted but not lost as a result of humanity's sin, Genesis 9, 6, and will be perfectly restored when Jesus returns, Romans 8, 29, 1 Corinthians 15, 49. But since God does not have a body, the image of God cannot be a physical likeness. So what does it mean to be created in the image of God? And it gives us four points. The first one, moral likeness. God has given us an inner sense of right and wrong. Ecclesiastes 3.11 and Romans 2.15. This conscience is intended to pro- prompt us to act in a moral way such that when we do, we reflect God's moral likeness. The second, spiritual likeness we have not only a physical body but also a spirit john 1930 acts 7 59 it is our spirit that is our primary link to god our present bodies are corrupted by sin and will never see god we relate to god spiritually in prayer in praise and in worship john 4 24 since god is spirit our spirit reflects his likeness. The third, intellectual likeness. We have the ability to reason and think logically and to learn in a way that sets us apart from the animal world. Only humans ponder the future, create music, art, and literature, and make scientific and technolo- techn- technology. Technological advances, excuse me. Only humans in this sense reflect the image of God. Okay, and the fourth and final one social likeness. God is a Trinity. That is, there is one God inter- eternally existing in three co eternal and co equal persons. It takes all three members of the Trinity to make up God. Likewise, both male and female make up humanity. It takes the combination of male and female to picture the Trinity. In Genesis one twenty seven, we read, God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Together in our maleness and femaleness, humanity reflects the image of God. There are surely other ways in which humanity humanity could be said to reflect the image of God, but these are major ways that help us see the important truth. Okay? Moving on to God's image was corrupted by sin. Humanity was created in the image of God without sin and in his perfect fellowship and harmony with god that image has been marred by sin adam and eve rebelled against god in the garden of eden this rebellion contaminated their spirits so that their inner nature tended toward sin romans 7 14 through 25 and while they were still capable of doing good they came. They yeah, they became. Excuse me. Incapable of not doing wrong. This flawed nature is now passed down to all their descendants. Romans five twelve through twenty five. This condition is described as total depravity, which does not mean that humans are totally bad or even as bad as they could be rather it means that corruption of humanity is total we are corrupted not just spiritually but also physically emotionally intellectually socially in, in, and in every other way the original sin of adam and eve produced universal guilt for all humans this might seem unfair Until we observe that God has countered that by extending the righteousness of Jesus to all who accept him. Okay. And it gives evidence demonstrates that humanity is lost. And that is our third bullet point. And it gives us one, two, three, four points. The first one. History suggests that we are lost. In our own country, just 50 years ago, the major problems in schools were chewing gum and talking out loud. Today, the major problems are physical violence and sexual promiscuity. Who has a solution that can take us back to the days when our problems were so minor? Who knows the path to return us to the time when we all agreed on a moral code that made metal detectors undercover police in a call for condom distribution in high schools unnecessary. Who can solve just this one problem in education? No one. Unless God brings renewal, unless God brings a great awakening, unless God stirs our hearts to return to him and to the principles in his word, those days would never be seen in America again. And to that The profound problems of drug, also add to that, the profound problems of drugs and alcohol abuse, sexually transmitted diseases, physical and sexual abuse, divorce, gang violence, terrorism, and corruption in business and politics. That need to be all caps is politics. Okay, what we're dealing with in today's world, but let me continue in the book. And the problems are compounded beyond comprehensive, comprehension. Excuse me. These are all problems that we cannot solve because there are problems because they are problems of the heart. Politics and armies cannot change the human heart. We have had over four thousand years of recorded history, and it all suggests that while there is good. In humanity, nevertheless, humanity is inherently and fatally flawed by sin, okay two, our conscience suggests that we are lost. Do you do things sometimes even though you know they are wrong? Do you sometimes fail to do things even though you know they are right? Are you a perfect human being, even by your own standards, let alone God's? No, you are not incapable of doing good. But at the same time, you are incapable of not doing evil. I came to the conclusion early in my Christian experience that I could make myself do almost anything. I wanted to accept desire to do only good all the time. My wanter is basically flawed. And even if it weren't, I still don't believe I could perform perfectly. It just isn't in me. It isn't in anyone. My conscience tells me that something is wrong with me. My conscience tells me that I am lost and need to be saved. Three, our experience suggests that we are lost. Most people look to this world to give us a sense of purpose and meaning in life. Lord help us. We may be looking to a career, education, relationships, or toys that we think will make us happy and fulfilled. But many discover that if they get what they want from this world, it doesn't satisfy an emptiness seeps up from somewhere deep within and a muffled alarm sounds that will not go away. The phrase, is this really all there is, chimes on the hour and grows into a relentless reminder of utility of life. But there are others who don't succeed in life. They don't come close to their aspirations. Oscar Wilde once said, in this world, there are only two tragedies. One is not getting what one wants, and the other is getting it. Both people know in some way that things aren't right. They must not describe themselves as lost, but they would agree that they need an answer from outside themselves, a power greater than themselves. Okay, and the fourth and final point for this section, the death of Christ suggests that we are lost. The death that Jesus died on the cross was a truly horrible death first there was physical agony when he arrived at the place of crucifixion they drove nails through his hands and feet but this is worse than we think at first these nails were not smooth construction nails that we know today they were more like small railroad spikes, squared off instead of rounded and rugged on the edges. And they nailed them, not through his hands and feet, which would have been bad enough, but through his wrist and ankles, ripping and tearing the flesh and cartilage and dislodging the small bones in those areas. The only way he could breathe was to push up on his feet, which had nails driven through them. It was one agony if he did and another agony if he didn't. He hung there for hours until he mercifully, he died. Second, there is the spiritual agony, that which is holy. Jesus must be horrified with what which is unholy, sin. Yet on the cross, Jesus had the sin of the world placed on him. It must have offended him, just as we are offended by ugly, violent, or sore things that violate our sensibility. Why would Jesus have endured that? After all, he didn't have to. In John ten eighteen, we hear him say, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down. He could have called 10,000 angels to destroy the world and set him free. Why would he have endured the cross if it were not for some colossal reason? Would he have endured it if humanity were basically good and not in need of salvation? Would he have done it if humanity could have had its sin overlooked and gone to heaven anyway? It is unthinkable the crucifixion is only rational if humanity is lost if being motivated by profound love for us jesus decided to die in our place so that we can live in his for me no other explanation is adequate the bible declares that humanity is lost and this is our last bullet point If we take the Bible at face value, we simply cannot avoid the fact that humanity is lost and in need of personal salvation. In Romans, two verses combine with practical force. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 3.23 And the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus Christ. Our Lord, excuse me, Romans six twenty three. Many other passages of Scripture reinforce his combined truth, Acts four ten, Romans five eight through ten, Ephesians two eight through ten. But these two are enough to nail the lid on our coffin. The Bible leaves no room for debate. Humanity is lost and needs to be saved. Okay, so. Again, in each of these chapters, we get the, you know, the breakdown of what we're going to be getting into. And then it gives us something to think about at the end, before the conclusion. So, if you don't believe that humanity is lost, you have to explain why no good civilizations in history have been able to sustain themselves. If you don't believe that humanity is lost, you have to explain why your own conscience accuses you of guilt. If you don't believe humanity is lost, you have to explain why your own experience in life fails to convince you that you are basically good. Okay, so I'm going to give you the conclusion. The let me ask you questions, the memorization scripture and the prayer. Then we go going into chapter 14. Okay, so in conclusion, we see then from history, our own conscience, our own experience and scripture that humanity is unreconciled to God but if we repent, 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 and commit our lives to Christ, our sins are forgiven and we are saved. We live with God and his children in peace, love, and joy in heaven forever. Okay, so that's in conclusion. There's three questions. Let me ask you. Number one, What evidence have you seen in your own experience or observation that convinces you that humanity is lost? Number two, if you were Jesus, would you have been willing to endure what he endured for us if we did not need to be saved? Number three, what would you tell someone who did not believe that humanity was lost? What is the most convincing point? Number three, I'm just going to say, look at the world today, okay? All the nonsense that's going on, all the corruption that is going on, um, that's it. Uh, If I go any further, I'm going to be here all day with y'all, so I'm just going to leave it at that. So the scripture that we have to memorize for this chapter is Romans 3, 23 and Romans 6, 23. And the prayer is, Dear Lord, thank you for saving me. Thank you for not leaving me to try to save myself. Thank you for paying the awful price for my sin. Help me to appreciate it and give me confidence to share the good news with others. Amen, okay, so we're going to go right on into chapter fourteen and the chapter at a glance is wow. We have one, two, three, four, five, six, oh, eight bullet points, Lord Jesus, okay, let's get on here in here. first bullet point we are predestined to salvation. The second, God's grace is the basis of salvation. The third is we are saved through faith. The fourth, we repent of sin for for salvation. Uh, The fifth one, we can be assured of our salvation. The sixth, we are eternally secure. Seven, Christians cannot commit the unpardonable sin. And number eight, Jesus is the only way of salvation. Okay? Okay. He is the only way we are predestined to salvation. Let's go ahead and get on in here. Predestination is a teaching that Jesus has chosen before the creation of the world who will be saved and who will not. Okay? John thirteen, eighteen, Ephesians one, three through fourteen, second Thessalonians two, thirteen through fifteen. And let me say this, I I love this book, okay? This this is the thing. We have to study to show ourselves approved. okay? This book is going to give you scripture, okay? Every chapter that I have shared within this book is bursting with scripture. If you don't know something, it's going to give you the scripture to find it, okay? So, continuing. Free will is the opposite teaching that will certainly... Wait free will is the opposite teaching that while okay that while certainly some things are predestined salvation is a result of a person's free will okay we got free will that's why people get to pick and choose what they want to do but is it gonna get you to heaven that's the question okay um (laughs) let me continue Oh, Lord. The Bible seems to teach that people have a free will. Matthew 23, 37, John seven seventeen, Romans 7, 18, and that God's predestination is based on God's foreknowledge. Romans 8, 29 through 30, 1 Peter 1, 2. That is that he looks ahead in time and sees who will accept him and who won't. And after that $4.00 chooses those who will believe. Oh, Lord. Man, I feel like reading that whole paragraph again. But let me continue. Oh, my goodness. Antonomy is a third position which holds that these other two truths appear to be mutually exclusive. And that if we hold clearly to one we violate the other. Therefore, both truths are held simultaneously in tension, waiting for the coming of Christ when all things will be known and fully understood. In support of this idea, the Trinity is pointed out as another biblical doctrine that seems to be inherently contradictory but that we hold nevertheless, because otherwise we fall clearly into error. Lord, Lord, Lord. Okay. God's grace is the basis of salvation. Mm, 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 mm. Primarily grace means unmerited favor or undeserved favor. God loves you and has provided you a way to be spared the normal consequence of sin, which is spiritual death and separation from God. Ephesians 2 8 through 9 tells us by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Okay? Titus 3, 5 tells us not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us. Good works can't save us, only his grace can. Lord, help me, Jesus. We are saved through faith. We are saved by grace through faith. That is grace. Is what motivated God to offer us salvation. Okay, people think that God is gonna give it to you. He didn't have to give us this. Okay, even though he, did, even though we did not earn it, but not everyone is saved. Oh Lord, I'm glad. I'm glad this Bible said, not the Bible. I'm, sorry, I'm glad this book said this, because everybody just be like, everybody say everybody's not saved. So let me read that again but not everyone is saved we must believe what god says about how to be saved and accept his commands faith does not mean merely to believe information about something it means to place one's trust in that information the illustration is often told of a man who strung a tight wire across Niagara Falls and walked across it, pushing a barrel. Then he asked the onlookers who among them thought he could push a person across in the barrel. Everyone raised their hand. Then he asked for volunteers. No one raised a hand. If a person had had biblical faith in the tightrope walker, he would have gotten in the barrel. Biblical faith believes what God has said. And acts appropriately. Come on here. Okay, we repent of sin for salvation. Repentance means changing one's mind. Oh, Lord Jesus. It is the other side of the coin from faith. If previously we rejected Jesus, but now we accept him, we have repented. Lord, help me. Come on here. We have changed our mind about Jesus. Seen properly, repentance and faith are essentially the same thing. One cannot have true faith without repenting. Okay? One cannot repent without true faith. Let me read that again. One cannot have true faith without repenting. Lord, Lord, Lord. One cannot repent without true faith. Okay, let me go on here and move on now. Okay, we can be assured of our salvation. Lord Jesus. Assurance is a confidence that Christians are in fact saved. It is not uncommon for Christians to struggle with doubts as to whether or not they are saved. But scripture gives assurance that we can know that we are saved. First, okay, it gives us Psalms 130, verse four. There is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. This passage tells us that it's possible to be forgiven. The second is John six thirty seven. The one who comes to me, I will by no means cast out. We must come to Jesus, believe in him and ask him him to save us. He does not ignore our pleadings to be saved. In the third one, 1 John 5:12, help help me, Holy Spirit. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. If we come to Jesus, And as he does not cast us out, we have Jesus and have life. Oh, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. We are eternally secure. Okay. Yes. Eternal security is the belief that once Christians are saved, they will always be saved. There are some passages that seem to suggest one can lose his or her salvation. Mark thirteen fourteen first Corinthians six twenty seven, and uh, then again fifteen and verse two Galatians five four Hebrews six four through six Hebrews ten twenty eight through twenty nine, and others that seem to suggest that one cannot that's in John ten twenty seven thirty Romans eight one and twenty nine and then verses thirty five and thirty nine and also verses eleven and twenty nine and then uh philippians 1 6 2nd timothy uh, 1 12 ephesians 1 13 through 14 and first peter 1 5 okay calvinist named after john calvin a leader of the protestant reformation in the 1500s believe that a person who is genuinely genuinely saved cannot lose his salvation he may backslide for a time into sinful behavior, but he will never be lost, since our salvation was dependent upon the grace of God in the first place. Calvinists point to Ephesians, where we see that our salvation is a result of his will, not our ours. That's one five, his grace not ours, as one six through seven, his purpose not ours, one uh, verse eleven, his power not ours. Uh, That's still in chapter 1, verses 12 and 14. His calling, not ours. Still in Ephesians 1, and that's going to be in verse 18. According to these passages, it seems that we do not save ourselves. He saves us. We do not keep ourselves. He keeps us. We are not secure in ourselves. We are secure in him. Okay? Okay? Another group, including those called Armenians, after the 16th century Dutch theologian Jacobus Arminius believed that it is is possible to lose one's salvation. Citing the verses referenced above and making the logical point that if someone accepted Jesus on his own free will, he could reject him subsequently of his own free will. And to this fact, the people have claimed and seemingly demonstrated Christ and then have fallen back into flagrant sinful living. The Bible seems to say that people who are settled down and comfortable in flagrant sin will not inherit the kingdom of God. It seems to me that the eternal security position is the stronger of the two positions. But while earnest Christians disagree on the issue of eternal security, one thing is certain god will save whoever comes to him okay so we got two more points and then we got our conclusion and then our questions so christians cannot commit the unpardonable sin in the gospels jesus speaks of unpardonable sin matthew 12 32 mark 3 29 through 30. shortly after i became a christian When someone told me of the unpardonable sin, I, excuse me, I shouted, I don't want to know what it is. As long as I didn't know what it was, it might not occur to me to do it. My friend wisely informed me that I could not do it, that only an unwillingness to repent was unpardonable. In the Gospels, Pharisees, who appeared to know who Jesus was but were unwilling to repent because of jealousy, attributed to the work of the holy spirit to the devil jesus said that was unforgivable exactly why is open to debate some say that even if the pharisees later repented the sin would not be forgiven that however seems inconsistent with the character of god Rather, it seems less troublesome to say that knowingly attributing the Holy Spirit to works Holy Spirit's work to the devil is a sign of a heart so hardened that it is no longer capable of repentance. If so, it might be an example of the condition Paul described in Romans 124. God gave them up to uncleanness. In 126, God gave them up to vile passions. If you are a Christian, you need not be concerned with committing the unpardonable sin. If you are concerned about sin and willing to repent, you need not be concerned with committing it. Those who have committed it could care less. They willingly commit it with their eyes wide open. Okay. Jesus is the only way of salvation. Okay. Let me say it again. Jesus is the only way of salvation. There are various perspectives on who will be saved and who will be lost. Everyone will be saved and no one lost. Only those who have committed truly awful sins, Hitler, will be lost. All who are sincere will be saved. It doesn't matter what you believe as long as you are sincere. No one can go to heaven except through Jesus. All these positions cannot be correct. They are mutually contradictory, okay? If you take the teaching of scripture at face value, it is quite clear on this matter. Not everyone will be saved. Matthew 25, 41 through 42. Some who have committed awful sins will be saved and some who did not commit awful sins will be lost matthew twenty six seventy four through seventy five titus three five it does not matter what you believe, regardless of how sincere you are acts seventeen twenty two through thirty one no one can go to heaven except through jesus john fourteen six acts four twelve okay so i hope you guys notice that the first four things i said don't have any scriptures attached to them? That's just people saying, okay. People who don't know the Bible will say stuff like that. The last four things I shared for you gave you a scripture reference so you can go and study for yourself, okay. Conclusion of chapter 14 The doctrine of salvation contains some of the most difficult and controversial teachings in the church. If God are surveying, so how can people be free? What is required for for salvation? Faith alone? And that's a question mark. Faith plus repentance question mark. Faith plus repentance plus sorrow for sin question mark. Is it often said is is it once saved always saved question mark? Yet those who yet those who hold to a high view of scripture have always agreed on one central truth. God will save whoever comes to him. In faith, he will not turn anyone away. Okay, so the questions for chapter 14. Let me ask you, what seems to be the most important implication to you of the fact that you are saved by grace through faith? Number two, have you ever struggled with assurance of your salvation? What help has this chapter given you in your struggle? Number three, if there is there... Wait, do no. If there anything in your life, yeah, that doesn't read right. So I'm going to say if there is anything in your life for which you need to repent, what do you have to do to fully repent? OK, so our scripture memorization for this chapter, Ephesians 2, 8 through 9. And the prayer is, Dear Lord, thank you for your grace that saves me and for giving me the faith to accept your free gift of life. Amen. Okay, so I'm going into chapter 15, and this is going to be it for this uh, podcast episode. 15, the title is, What Happens When I Am Saved? Chapter at a glance has five bullet points. I am regenerated. I am redeemed. I am justified. I am adopted. I am united with Christ. Okay, so I am regenerated. People often discuss what it means to be a Christian. The discussion ranges from what one believes to how good one must be in his or her lifestyle. However, a Christian is someone to whom something very specific has happened. Before this thing happens to him, he is not a Christian. And after this thing has happened to him, he is a Christian. This thing is that he is re generated okay Jesus described it as being born again in the gospel of John we read how Nicodemus a member of the elite religious ruling party came to Jesus by night to talk with him in the course of the conversation Jesus told him that he must be born again if he was to see the kingdom of heaven okay John 3 1 through 21 check it out Paul wrote in Ephesians 2, one, you were dead in trespasses and sins. And what way were they dead? Physically, obviously not. Dead people don't read letters from other people. They were dead spiritually. Paul went on, but God, who is rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in trespasses, made us alive together in Christ. Ephesians 2, 4 through 5. That is what it means to be born again. It means to be made alive spiritually. Come on here. I am redeemed. Redemption has several dictionary meanings coming from different Greek words that are all translated, translated. If I could speak today, redeem. First, it can mean to purchase. From the marketplace. This would be the same word you would use if you were to buy a potato from the local market. The word is agrazo, which comes from the word for marketplace. In relation to our salvation, it means simply to pay the price that our sin redeemed. Revelations 5, 9. The second word is the same word agrazo with the prefix ex added to it. E-X means out of. So exorazo means not only to pay the purchase price, but also to take us out of the marketplace. So in relation to our salvation, it means that not only did Christ pay the price for our sin, but also he removed us from the marketplace of sin. Christ has redeemed exorazo us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, Galatians 3.13. The third word is an entirely different word, lutra, which means to pay a ransom so that the held one can be free. You were not redeemed, lutra, lutrao, I think that's what it means. It says, uh, with corruptible things like silver or gold from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your father's but with the precious blood of Christ as a lamb without blemish and without spot. First Peter one, 18 through 19. I am justified. And we got two more after this justification is being declared righteous by God being declared righteous by God cannot happen unless we are righteous in God's eyes. God does not use sleight of hand or smoke and mirrors to get us into heaven. But how can God see us being righteous when we know we have sinned in our lives? Does God look the other way when we sin? Does he pretend not to see? How can God declare us righteous if we sin? Scripture helps us begin to nail down some answers to these questions. Romans 5.1 says, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. How did we gain this peace with God? Through justification. Romans 4, 2-3 through 3 tells us if Abraham was justified by his works, he has something to boast about, but not before God. For what does the scripture say? Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. We see then that we are justified the way all people of all times have been justified through faith. When we give our lives to Christ to follow him, our sins are forgiven. We are born again, and Jesus' righteousness becomes ours. Everything that Christ made possible, forgiveness of sins and the conferring of righteousness to us, is brought forward in the mind of God. To the moment of our salvation, when we are crucified with christ galatians two twenty we have peace with god romans five one we are saved from god's worth wrath um romans five nine we are glorified romans eight thirty and we become heirs, having the hope of eternal life titus three seven I am adopted, okay. Adoption is being taken into and made a legal member of another family with all the rights and privileges of that family. In Ephesians 1.5, the Apostle Paul likened his adoption to the Roman concept of adoption and said that that which is true of adoption in the Roman world is true of us in the spiritual world. We are absolutely in the power of sin and of the world. We belong to the family of Adam lost and without hope. But God through Jesus took us out of that family and adopted us into his. And that adoption wipes out the past and makes us new. We know we are imperfect children. In spite of that, God shows us before the foundation of the world. Ephesians one five, To be his children knowing full well ahead of time every sin we will commit. He adopted us anyway, clearing our name of all the depths of our old family. Adams, to the death of Jesus on the cross. That is what it means to be adopted. It is not merely a legal term. It is deeply, it is a deep. Okay, so I'm going to go ahead and continue. I was in chapter 14 before I got a call and it just completely shut me out of here so let me go ahead and just continue on uh so I was in the last bullet point I am adopted and I was ending off in this uh that is what it means to be adopted it is not merely a law, legal term it is de- a deeply personal term it is not just that there is an absence of malice but there is a presence of love. Envision the best of what earthly families have to offer and you have a glimpse of what heaven has to offer as God's children. Okay, and I'm sorry we had another bullet point. So I am united with Christ. This is our last bullet point. To be united with Christ is to become one with him spiritually. When a woman gets married, the Bible says she becomes one with her husband. Genesis uh, 2.24. It's like that with us in Christ. Grace Kelly, one of the true megastars in Hollywood in the 1950s, was one of the most beautiful women in the world. She was courted by Prince Rainer of Monaco and eventually married him. Even though she was rich, beautiful, and famous, she was considered a commoner by royalty. But this commoner became a princess after a lavish storybook wedding. Grace Kelly of Hollywood became Princess Grace of Monaco. Princess Rainer, Prince Rainer's wealth became hers. She dropped her last name and took his. His title became hers. His life of royalty became hers. His destiny became hers as a result of her union with him. So it is with Christ in us. So it is. So it is with Christ in us. Okay, I had to say that again a few times. We become one with him. We are joined to him. We become, as the Bible describes it, in Christ, his wealth, his position, his inheritance. His life becomes ours. The Bible describes elements of our union with Christ. We are crucified with him, Galatians 2.20. We died with him, Galatians Colossians 2.20, we are buried with him, Romans 6.4, we are made alive with him, Ephesians 2.5, we are raised with him, Colossians 3.1, we will suffer with him, Romans 8.17, we are glorified in him, Romans 8.17, we are joint heirs with him, Romans 8.17, this is a judicial union with Christ in which God the Father sees us in Christ. When God sees the merit of the cross, he sees Christ in us together. The benefits of Christ's death are credited to us. Okay? The conclusion. If publisher's clearing house knocked on our door and gave us a check for $10 million, we would be delirious with joy yet. The truth of what we have in Christ may not always make us delirious with joy because it is too much for us to take in. But when we stand before Christ in heaven, able to grasp the marvelous truths of our union with him, 10 million would seem insignificant by comparison. Okay, so think about it. We have four things to think about. Number one, if you don't know you're regenerated, you may be unclear on what it means to be a Christian, thinking that somehow it has to do with good works or religious activity. Number two, if you don't know you are justified, you won't understand that your slate is clear before God and you won't be able to relax in your relationship with him. Number three, if you don't know you're adopted, you may not have the joy that is possible through knowing God loves us so much number four if you don't know you are united with christ you may not grasp your importance to god or the wealth and position that is yours okay so the scripture to memorize for this chapter this is 15 i think i said 14 before this is chapter 15 romans 5 1 and the prayer is dear lord Thank you that you have made me to be born again, a new creation in Christ, guiltless before you and a member of your family. It is almost too much to take in. Help me to live a life worthy of the position you have given me in Jesus. Amen. Okay. So again, let me thank you guys for listening. Uh, Again, this is still our discussion on discipleship. Okay. Okay. We are still in the new Christian's handbook, Everything Believers Need to Know by Max Anders. Okay? And I have just shared 13, 14, and 15. And I'll be coming back to share some other chapters, and I'm telling you, it gets it keeps getting real, y'all. So continue to listen. Um so we all can continue to grow and educate ourselves. Um, because we have to, we have the study to show ourselves approved. You 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 a Christian? act like a christian, live like a christian, okay? We got to study like Christians. We have to study like we are part of God's family. Okay? So we know what this thing is about. We know what this walk is about. Okay? So again, it's a single mom of purpose. This episode is brought to you by Kingdom Girls Ministries. Okay? You can check us out at www.kingdomgirlministries.com. You can find us on Instagram. You can find our group on Facebook, Kingdom Girls Ministries. You can find us on twitter okay so thank you again continue to listen i'll be back have a good day